The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 110 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, you got Peanade and Pootie Tang, Pootie Cakes, Pootie, whatever you guys are calling me these days. Pootie Cakes, delicious. I'm going to change my name to Chuck, I think. <laughs> just just get rid of the whole Pootie thing. Just like, just completely get rid of it. Just go with Chuck. Just Chuck. Chuck what? Just Chuck. Just like, Chuck like, like a Brazilian share? soccer. You want to share? I don't know. That's like the one name. That, yeah, anyway. That's something we don't culturally do. We don't like just give people just one name. Like I guess Madonna's really the only one. I guess Cher too, but like, yeah. like Orlando Bloom isn't just Bloom. Why? Like who are these people that are coming to our minds? Why did Orlando Bloom come to mind? Because it's a funny name. Yeah, Orlando it is, it is Bloom. A funny name. Just say it. Yeah, it is funny. It's very fun. Um, anyway. We are the Rebels, and uh, this is the Rebel Podcast, part of the Rebel Alliance Media. Um, you, you by by this point, um, you know the uh, the podcast on our network. You know about the blog post. Go to rebelalliancemedia.com so you don't miss any of our content. Uh, we just want to say thanks to Ryan Aris, Joe Boot, and the uh, Ezra Institute for coming into the network. They're the most recent additions. They've been awesome. Uh, so so good to have them. I'm glad that they've picked up some listenership since coming over to our network and. Uh, I, if you're listening to us because the EICC is now plugging us and partnered with us, uh, welcome to you as well. Yeah. And if you're formerly of the SBC, because by the time we listen to this, some of you <laughs> who listen might've been kicked out of the SBC, <laughs> feel free to join us. Yeah, so that's a great idea. We could start our whole thing. There you go. Um, and, uh, so the other thing I wanted to just say is, uh, thanks so much to all the Patreon supporters. Um, I, 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 I guess we've just been kind of blown away with the support from the Patreon, uh, stuff. So, so we are um, quickly trying to get things done so that we have uh, um, content for you that we've promised from the Pat- uh, um, from those who are supporting us through Patreon. So thank you so much for all that support. And uh, we are uh, we are in the middle of making some good content. The uh, the systematics for saplings that's coming out through uh, Awakening Reformation has been awesome. Um, that's going to be published as an ebook and uh, a, a sort of family worship study guide. Um, and we're working through some eschatology stuff. So there's, there's some really exciting stuff on, uh, on the horizon. So, um, rebel news, um, anything that you wanted to, to chat about with rebel news, do you have any rebel news items? So often with our rebel news is we're just wanting to point out inconsistencies in people in other people's worldviews. Yeah. So here's another one for you. Nice. So the Trudeau government, which is our prime minister in Canada, if you hadn't picked that up by yet, um, has spent billions in yeah, $2.3 billion, according to the National Post, on ending child marriage overseas. Well, the re- researchers found that Canada is actually the second largest country in the world for underage marriage. Oh, man. <laughs> so Canada, it's completely legal. So like just to back up, 
Uh, <laughs> child marriage is any, anybody who gets uh, married under the age of 18 in Canada, about one in like 20 people get married under the age of 18, which actually is shocking to me. I, yeah, I had no shocking. idea. It's mostly at West, um, but it needs par- <laughs> just, <laughs> just throwing shade at the prairies. I, I feel like we got no listeners at West. So yeah. like, I'm fine with that. We have one in Vancouver, my friend, um, but the rest is like, that's a dead zone to us. So that's totally <laughs> so we fun. can throw shade we, all we want. Yeah, that's totally fine. Which is also weirdly where our denomination is headed and based. So that's fair. That makes a lot of sense. Anyway, uh, but Canada's Man, like, you are just making friends today. <laughs> I'm, I'm on fire. Who haven't I offended? Um, give me time. Okay, so uh, so way to go, Trudeau government. Um, way to way to take the leave the speck in in your or take the speck out of your neighbor's eye while leaving the plank in your own. Yeah, yeah. basically, that's where I was going with that. Um, I just, I actually have a piece of rebel news. Um, so there's a there's a petition um, that uh, is uh, open for signature until August 22nd of this year. It's the E dash two zero five one petition. It's petitioning to the House of Commons um, in uh, in Canada. I'm going to read it to you. It's a, it's an abortion petition, um, and I, I feel like you're going to get behind this. So we're, we're going to share this out on our social media. Uh, any Canadian citizens who are listeners to the podcast, I want you to sign this. Um, so we'll link it in the show notes and share it through our social media outlets. But whereas... In Canada, abortion is a service covered by public health services, costing taxpayers millions for abortions at hospitals and private abortion facilities at a cost of taxpayers of approximately $80 million per year. And whereas pregnancy is not a disease, injury, or illness, and whereas an abortion is not a medical necessity and therefore should not be funded by taxpayers, and whereas the Canadian Health Act requires provinces to fund medically necessary services, and whereas the practice of abortion conflicts with Christian faith and no Canadian should be forced to violate his or her own conscience in order to abide by the tax laws and regulations that fund the killing of unborn children, we, the undersigned residents of Canada, call upon the House of Commons and Parliament assembled to cease providing taxpayers' dollars for the performance of abortions by, mass- by passing legislation that recognizes the fact that abortion is not a medically necessary procedure and to define abortion under the Canada Health Act as not meeting the criteria of, quote, medically necessary and therefore not funded by taxpayers' dollars. Boom. Yeah, I'm signing that. <laughs> Drop, mic drop. I I know this isn't true, but I'm gonna take. Cre- I want to take credit for that whole thing. I feel like that's. <laughs> me- <laughs> I feel like that's right out of my brain. Fair like- enough. So, um, uh, signatures opened um, for this uh, about three weeks ago, and there are currently twelve hundred and fifty signatures, which is not nearly enough. So. We are gonna. Uh, we are going to uh, blast this out, and this needs to be signed by a whole lot of people. Yeah. So like that's like twelve hundred and fifty people is what you said yeah. signed so far. How long? How long has it been going? Uh, three weeks. All right, so that it's not doing terribly, but it's not, not doing, doing great. terribly. Um, let's get so, behind, yeah, let's get behind it, people. Yeah, so we're gonna share this out, and I think this is a well-worded um, petition, uh, mainly because I mean it does obviously talk about the con- conflict with the Christian faith, and that no Christian should be forced to violate his or her conscience in order to abide by the tax laws and regulations. Um, but it doesn't make the Christian faith or abiding by the word of God, the primary thing, which I think is a strategic play and, uh, and one that might actually see some, um, see some, 
success, but it needs a whole lot more uh, signatures than this. So just a, a shout out to uh, Harold Albrecht from uh, uh, the Conservative Party in Kitchener, Conestoga riding. Um, he's the one who put this together. And uh, yeah, let's get it going, guys. So he's the one who really gets credit for it. He's the one who really gets credit for it. But yeah, that wasn't to take away from Chris. He's probably a rebel listener. So, <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, yeah. So there, uh, there you go. Let's do that thing. And uh, that's our rebel news. So we're going to come back. And today you have jumped into a wonderful... Q&A. So we're going to answer some questions that have come in from listeners over the last several weeks. High school students, you've got 10 weeks of summer vacation and you want to make them count. The Worldview Leadership Camp is a week-long unique camp experience on the beautiful Niagara Peninsula designed to equip high school-age students to know, defend, and apply their Christian faith in the midst of the intellectual and cultural challenges of our day. Learn from Christian apologist Joe Boot and a faculty of world-class scholars, theologians, and cultural reformers from North America and beyond. Find out more and register at www.ezrainstitute.ca. Are you a university student or a young professional? Have you ever wrestled with how you can authentically think and act as a Christian when it comes to areas like education, politics, law, medicine, science, business, or arts and media? Then this program is for you. The Runner Academy is a two-week summer residential worldview training program hosted by the Ezra Institute to equip the next generation of Christian cultural leaders to understand, defend, and apply their faith. Learn more and apply at www.ezrainstitute.ca. All right, we're back, and uh, so we're, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with a uh, uh, an easy one for you, Chris. All right, that's, that, that's always a kiss of death. That's always the kiss pray of and death. read your Bible. Jesus, what's the answer? <laughs> there you go. So here's the uh, here's the easy one. Um, is uh, are you guys associated with Rebel Media? <laughs> <laughs> No, we're not. <laughs> no, we are um, not. We get this all the time. We do get this all. Let me let me explain how this all happened. No. We are Star Wars fans, yes. and so we we kept googling things like Rebel Alliance, Rebel um, Alliance podcast, like Rebel, yeah. all, when we were researching the name, because um, we didn't. It took us a while to get a name, and yep. then you came up with the name, and so we started researching. And we never thought until the very end because Rebel Alliance was taken on the domain yeah. to even put anything yeah. else. And out we couldn't it. go with Rebel Alliance podcast at the time, even though we kind of talk about ourselves as the Rebel Alliance podcast, um, because Rebel Alliance podcast is in fact a Star Wars podcast. That's yes. that's pretty popular. So we went with Rebel Alliance Media because we were like, oh well, we're going to be doing videos. It's not just about podcasting, and and we were very clear on wanting to be kind of a multi-platform social media ministry. And so we put Rebel Alliance. M- media together and let's be honest we also just didn't think that this thing would get as popular as it as it has like we, we, we would we were very happy sorry i didn't mean to yeah, catch up no, no. we were we originally thought we'd be very happy if a couple hundred people listened all the time yeah so 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 we're you know it, it kind of ended up blowing up and we were kind of stuck with the name now we have actually talked about um changing kind of the network name and and we have like rebel alliance media is now kind of the network that that bands us all together and we have talked about changing that we are the rebel podcast and that's not going to change um but uh uh we have talked about that but we are not associated with ezra levant and uh the rebel media which is a kind of independent media conservative media 
media news source in in Canada. Uh, so we have been asked that quite a bit. And to be honest with you, some of some of the what Rebel Media stuff is doing is is decent. Uh, they they have a few uh, people who seem just straight racist <laughs> I don't can you say that yeah, yeah um so yeah we are not associated with them and um but thanks for asking yeah, yeah no, we're not we're not we're not in fact we've actually jokingly challenged them to like an airsoft fight um to save to fight for the <laughs> levant is not taking us up on that but uh, and they have more people i think so yeah. we lost but yeah all right here's another question um and uh and this one is coming in from uh, a friend of ours who is uh named josiah uh we actually got a really really nice uh email from josiah uh, he's from up in alaska a really nice uh email from him uh talking about just uh what this podcast has meant for him and and kind of helped him uh way up in alaska there's nothing up there so you know He's, uh, he's feeling pretty alone, <laughs> but it feels good to be, you know, feel connected so to the, the Rebel Alliance it's, family. It's not just the West we've destroyed, the North <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so we got a really nice uh, um, message from Josiah just about what uh, this ministry is, has meant to him, and we appreciate that, and we've had some back and forth. And then he sent out this really great question, um, and he asked, um, do you or anybody in the Rebel Alliance group have an episode on whether or not aborted babies are saved? I'd be interested to know your perspective on this, given how much you guys are talking about abortion these days. So this came out just shortly after we did the uh, the pro-life challenge uh, videos. Um, and uh, so he's asking essentially, um, he, he asks, asks specifically about whether or not aborted babies are saved. But let's kind of broaden this topic. We can talk about that specifically, but we can talk about um, children who die in infancy. Um, do they go to heaven? Are they saved? Go, Chris. <laughs> oh, this is the worst. Um, I this like can I can I just start by saying I have yeah. no idea. Like in terms of like really, when I say that, I mean all I can do is think of what the Word of God says about salvation, and then try to fa- like try to play that out in 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 these terms. So let me try to answer the question in a couple different ways. One, I think I think I think young babies that died unless they're saved, don't go to heaven. And so what do you mean by saved? (laughs) Baptized? (laughs) (laughs) I just, we should throw the press bees under there too. We're, we're, you know, we're insulting everybody. No, I, I, I think unless you you can confess confess that Jesus is Lord, you've put your trust and faith, and faith into Him, then you then you can't be saved, because um, He says He is the way, the truth, truth and life. No one gets to the Father except through Him. Um, so, but then there are verses that say like kids are saved by the, the uh, women are saved by childbearing, and, and which would imply maybe the kids are saved in that in that way. Um, and then I also think God is sovereign and. He's also not a cruel God. So um, a six-week-old who dies who had no possible chance of ever knowing that anything about it would be then saved. But I, the problem is that when I play that out for, well, what about a tribe in Africa right. who has never heard the gospel? Well, there's still the world declares enough that says they're still under sin. So therefore, I, would, I have to go back and say no, even though I don't want to say no. Right. Um, so then, so that's how I would look at the the uh, the infant problem in the, the aborted baby issue brings up a whole other can, can right. of words because I do believe that birth, like you become a real person at conception. 
Um, but I would say yes for the abort for the aborted babies, which means my position is completely inconsistent. Um, because so you're just walking out your inconsistencies here, which is good. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Just yeah. airing it out, airing yeah. it out, hoping you'll correct me. Um, <laughs> so I, I would say yes, an aborted baby would be saved. My reasoning for that is because the Bible says He knit us together in, in our mother's womb, um, which would imply that while we're in the womb, He kind of knows us. Right. Um, so I would say that we don't take on Adam's sin until we've taken on Adam's freedom basically from our, from our mother. Um, and so I would say we become sinners when we're born into sin. Right. Um, so I would say when we're (laughs) brought out into the, I was about to say flushed out into the world, (laughs) but like until we're birthed out into the world, I would say we're, uh, we're not under Adam's sin at that, at that point. Right. Um, and so therefore I would say an aborted baby would be saved. Um, whereas, an infant six week old wouldn't be, which I realize is massively right. inconsistent, but I don't know how else to apply these, right. these truths. So hit me. Well, okay. So there's a couple ways you can answer this, right? You could say, yes, they're saved because of the sinlessness of infants, right? They haven't committed any sins yet. We know that that's unbiblical because uh, the Bible is very clear that we're born into iniquity, right? That we are born totally depraved. So that can't be the right answer. Um, There's also, you could just say, well, they're saved because everyone gets saved. That's universalism. We know that's not true as well. Um, Another um, thing that we could say is that infant infant baptism saves them. So as long as they were baptized before they died, they would be saved. That doesn't speak to those who are aborted. Um, but, um, even our, even our, uh, um, baby dunkers over at awakening reformation, uh, don't believe that, um, because they don't believe in, um, baptismal regeneration. Um, there's also, uh, there would be uh, a view and you, you alluded to first Corinthians seven there, where it talks about, uh, maybe to save through child, uh, rearing. There is a sect, uh, comes out of uh, some Lutheran and some um, uh, certain sects of, uh, of uh, uh, Catholicism where uh, the salvation of the infants um, is dependent on the salvation of the parents. Um, we, w- we obviously know that that's not true as well. Um, you could also answer the question by saying, and, and these are kind of the two that I would say you're left with, okay? So all those things we, for various reasons we would say aren't true. Or you could say it this way. You could say, um, elect infants are saved and unelect infants are not saved. So most reformed theologians would fall down somewhere in that category where, like you said, in terms of the sovereignty of God, um, if they were elect, they're saved. And if they are unelect, they aren't saved. Um, No matter when they die, whether it's in infancy or um, before birth, um, if they were part of the elect, they get saved. And if they aren't, they aren't. And, uh, for those who believe in God's sovereignty and understand Calvinism, um, as, uh, biblical Calvinism, that shouldn't be too hard of a, a pill to swallow, right? If, if we're already on board for election, then that's a pretty easy pill to swallow. There's another view, um, that, uh, a guy named Sam Storms advocates for, and he did a pretty good job of convincing, uh, me of it. And that is all, children who die in infancy are elect. And um, so this this has to do with those who are aborted and those who are um, born and die in infancy. He's got a few reasons for that. So I'm just getting this. You can get this from samstorms.com. Um, uh, but he's got a few reasons, and he's one of the people who's helped my thinking through this. Now, just to be clear, when I'm doing pastoral counseling for people who have lost 
infants. And I, and I have done that more times than I'd like to, uh, remember. Um, I don't make any definitive statements. So the answer to Josiah's question is we don't know, but there's some indications in scripture that might lend itself to believing this. So Sam Storm's first argument is that in, uh, in Romans chapter one, uh, Paul describes people who are recipients of general revelation as being without excuse. Um, and he kind of uses that to, um, he asks the question, does this imply that those who are not recipients of general revelation, i.e. infants or those who are aborted, are they then not accountable to God or subject to wrath because they are with excuse? Well, that's a good question, but I don't think that's enough to convince me. Second thing that he says is he says, there are texts which appear to assert or imply that infants do not know good and evil, and hence they lack the capacity to make morally informed formed and thus responsible choices. Um, he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. Um, again, I, I, I get where he's coming from. Deuteronomy one thirty nine says, and as for your little ones, you who said, uh, you or sorry, as for your little ones who you said would become a prey and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there and to them, I will give it and they shall possess it. So there's these passages that seem to, so the, I think the, I think those kind of go together, but he, he lists them separately. And that's the idea that children lack the capacity to, um, to be without excuse because they haven't been given the general revelation or the common grace um, of being made moral agents in the image of God. Third, and this is where I think he starts to have some kind of um, biblical argument. He says the story of David's son in 2 Samuel 12 um, is that that the firstborn child of David and Bathsheba was struck by the Lord and died. In the seven days before his death, David fasted and prayed, hoping that the Lord might be gracious to me and that the child may live. That's verse 22. Um, following his death, David was wa uh, David washed himself, ate food, and worshipped. That's verse twenty. When asked why he responded this way, he said that the child has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So Sam Storms asked the question: What does it mean when David says, "I shall go to him"? Is this merely uh, a reference to the grave or to death? It doesn't seem that way because it seems like David is implying that they will be reunited. So it appears that David is drawing some measure of comfort from knowing that he and his son will be reunited. So is this a particular revelation that God gave to David about his son? Or is this something that, that parents can, is this, is this another passage of scripture that we can go to if we lose a loved one in infancy with the same kind of comfort? So Sam Storms is asking the question. Um, then uh, his his next uh, um, uh, his next point is uh, uh, we we have what would appear to be a biblical evidence that at least some infants are regenerate in the womb, such that if they died in their infancy, they would be saved. This is at least provides a theoretical basis for considering whether the same may be true for all who die in infancy. That is to say, if this sort of thing ha happens even once, it certainly can happen in other cases as well. So those texts include Jeremiah 1 verse 5, right? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were 
um, born, I consecrated you, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations, or Luke 1.15, uh, for he will be great in the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, for he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. Um, and it's interesting um, that, uh, you know, uh, and I, I often say this when, when talking to people about the topic of abortion, we, um, isn't it interesting that it was a, a, a child in utero who was the first one to worship and leap for joy at the announcement of Jesus, right? John the Baptist in his mother's womb leapt for joy when Mary was in close proximity. Um, so, so that's another one of his arguments. Um, seventh, um, or his or next point is that uh, some appeal to Matthew nineteen thirteen to fifteen, where Jesus declares, "Let the little children come to me." Um, is Jesus simply saying that if one wished to be saved, he or she must be? So this is. Um, uh, it says, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So Sam Storms asked the question, is Jesus simply saying that if one wishes to be saved, he or she must be as trusting as children, i.e. devoid of skepticism or arrogance? In other words, is Jesus merely describing a kind of person who enters the kingdom? Or is he actually saying that these very children were the recipients of saving grace? If the latter were true, it would seem to imply that Jesus knew that the children whom he was then receiving would all die in their infancy, and is that credible? Um, His next point is... um uh, Millard Erickson argues for the salvation of deceased infants in an unusual way. He argues that notwithstanding Adam's sin, there must be a conscience and voluntary decision on our part to embrace or ratify it. Until such is the case, the imputation of Adam's sin uh, to his physical posterity, as is also true of the imputation of Christ's righteousness to his spiritual posterity, is conditional. Um, so then he, he quotes Erickson. Um, I won't go into the quote because it's a lengthy one. Um, and, uh, lastly, he says, um, that this is all, um, subjective. And so he just kind of says, personally speaking, I find that, um, this point is the most convincing. I do believe in the salvation of those who die in infancy. I affirm their salvation. However, neither because they are innocent nor because they've merited God's forgiveness, but solely because God has sovereignly chosen them for eternal life, regenerated their souls and applied the saving benefits of the blood of Christ to them apart from consciousness conscious faith. So essentially he's, he's making the point that, um, the same point that if they're elect, they are saved. And if they aren't elect, they aren't saved. But what he's saying is that in God's sovereignty, he has chosen that all those who will and would and do die in infancy are among the elect. So that's Sam Storm's view, and I think there are some compelling things in there. I think some of his points are stronger than others, um, but um, that's kind of as far as we know. So to answer Josiah's question, no, we, we haven't done an episode on this, so here's the first time we've answered the question, um, but uh, that's as best as I think you can answer it, and I think that the, uh, um, the implications of God's comfort to David is probably the most compelling of all of that. That's really good. Does that answer. make sense? That's a much better answer than I had. Of, uh, I'm like, I don't know, man. Don't ask me. <laughs> don't ask me that. This, see, th- th- I think this is a great question because it shows a principle. So not there. there isn't always a definitive answer for every question that you can be asked. It's true. And so like when you're, especially we have, this happens all the time in like evangelism. Somebody will ask you a question that you don't have an answer to. Yep. And so like, I didn't know this was a question we were going to answer today. So I'm like on the spot thinking, well, what do I think? Well, I've thought yeah. about this before and this is, I think, I think I don't know is what I, is my answer. Right. Um, and I think it's a good example. There's never, there's never a time to be like, I don't know more, more study is required. 
and I'm not God at some point, some things are mysteries to me. Yeah. And I think that's a really good one. There's a really good one in, uh, in Timothy when it says uh, women will be, I, I alluded to women will be saved through childbirth, yeah. through childbirth. Be like, what does that mean? I have zero idea. Like, <laughs> just, I don't even think Paul knew. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was just a conduit of the Holy spirit at that point. Yes. Um, I think there is a good answer to that. We can talk about that. Sometime. No, no, no. I was just making a joke. Um, yeah. I it was a David Platt said that in one of his sermons. Let me ask you another question. A, a yep. question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we can we got a whole bunch so yeah let's fire a couple quick ones that you can hit mm-hmm. uh we get this one a lot particularly to you i think um which translation do you recommend of the bible yeah great question um so personally i really like um i teach from the esv um and uh, my devotions i actually have two different bibles that i do my devotions with one is an esv bible that was just given to me recently which has been phenomenal it's got great wide margins for for a lot of is this the the one you showed me yeah it's good eh? it's got it's got four of the little tassels where you keep your pages yeah i'm all about the tassels i love the tassels um so that one's really good so i use esv and nasb so new american standard i think is actually probably the best in terms of like, if you're going to study the Bible in an English translation, NASB, I think is actually just the best word for word translation. ESV, I think is a little bit more readable and, and, uh, I, I just like it a little bit better. It's a little bit more, um, uh, uh, I guess accessible, right? Because a lot of the people at our church used NLT or NIV when I got there. And so the transition to ESV was easier for them than the translation or transition would have been to NASB. So NASB and ESV are the two that I use. Um, I also have, uh, my wife got me for my birthday, um, a Christian standard Bible, CSB, which is fairly new. And a friend of the show who we've had on here, uh, Andreas Kostenberger, um, was actually part of the translation team who did the CSB. Um, and even though another friend of the show, Tim Bailey was very critical of the CSB. Um, it's a pretty good translation in terms of just readability. It's a very, very good, uh, Bible. I think, um, I happen to have a soft spot for it because my wife got me this beautiful Spurgeon study Bible. That's a CSB Bible. So I'm really enjoying that. But, um, so I think any of those are really good. Um, I don't think, I don't think Christians should do their devotions with like, uh, a new living translation or a, um, uh, obviously the message or any of those kinds of, uh, paraphrase translations simply because I don't think that they're, it's bad to kind of look at it and see how things say, but I don't think you should do your Bible study in them because they're just not accurate enough translations. Yeah, that's good. That's so, a good answer. I, yeah. I, for me, I, I recommend either the ESV is what I, I use the ESV or the NASB as well. Um, I have a, my study Bible that I do my devotions though is NASB. Yep. Um, and I, I actually find it easier to read than the ESV, but I think it's because of familiarity. Like sometimes mm. you just, you've read a book right. so many times that, uh, I didn't get on the ESV train until you basically started being my pastor. So, um, <laughs> well, yeah, it's nice. I think it's also nice to read the scripture that your pastor's preaching, uh, preaching out of like when he's reading it's, you can follow along word for word. Whereas the NSA and ASB, there are words that are like it's, it's sentence structures might be a little different. So, um, I have both to answer right. that question. Um, let me throw you another one that we can rattle off probably pretty quick. Yeah. Go for it. My boy, David Platt prayed for Trump. Yeah. Thoughts. All right. Was that the question? So is that just yours or is that somebody else saying Chris's boy, David Platt. <laughs> no, 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 uh, no, no. Just thought, what are your yeah. thoughts on the, on the Platt prayer? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I actually, I liked that he prayed for Trump. I thought his prayer was solid. I was actually just disappointed that he apologized. 
Um, and so let me, and that's not just me. I, I, I said this to somebody and they kind of said like, man, stop being so cranky. Let me tell you why I didn't like the apology. So first of all, uh, as the story goes, for those of you who don't know the story, um, Donald Trump showed up at, um, David Platt's, uh, church in Washington on a Sunday morning. Uh, no notice was given. It was just kind of like, Hey, by the way, Donald Trump is here. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't even his main campus in Washington. Platt was, Platt was preaching at his satellite church in Virginia. Oh, interesting. And Trump was golfing, golfing in Virginia. And so he showed up at the campus. So somebody must have known that like Platt was at that. Right. Um, like he doesn't announce which campus he's going to be at. Um, and so Trump obviously probably knew. Right. And he, so it wasn't even the main campus that he showed up at, which is interesting to me. Yeah. So, so, um, so, uh, so what David Platt did was he, he got, Donald Trump backstage and apparently shared the gospel with him. And I, I like, honestly, who better to, to share the gospel with, with a guy like David Trump, David Trump, Donald Trump, than David Platt, because, um, I, he's just so genuine. He's not like intimidated. Like Platt would not be starstruck in any way, shape or form by Donald Trump. So he would be so unimpressed. Um, so like he, that would have been a clear, like very straightforward gospel message. So good for him for sharing that. And then he brought him out and prayed for him. And nowhere in his prayer was he um, patting Trump on the back. Nowhere was he um, uh, assuming Trump's salvation. Um, But his prayer, I mean, his prayer started off with like the recognition that Jesus is the king and that we all stand under the authority and submission to Jesus, the king. I'm like, preach it Platt. So he did a great job. The prayer was phenomenal. And I, I honestly, part of me thinks who better. Um, I was a little disappointed that he felt the need to apologize. Now he didn't apologize in a sort of like, you know, Oh, I shouldn't have done that way. It was like, if I hurt anybody's feelings, because I know politics can be polarizing, then I apologize. Um, I, I, I think he should have been a bit more, uh, should have displayed some more conviction than that. And what I mean by that is there is no doubt that there is some Trump derangement syndrome going on in the States right now. And so there'd be a whole lot of people who just think that having like Trump on stage at a church was like some sort of blasphemy. And I just think like David Platt missed an opportunity to kind of rebuke those people. Right. I I think that, you know, um, it's interesting that we, you know, we can talk about, you know, racism and, and hating people based on the color of their skin is so bad. And yet hating somebody who holds a differing political position than you and is, is leading the country in a way that you disagree with, it's okay to hate on them completely. Right. And, and trust me, I say that as a guy who needs to check my heart on, um, things I say about Trudeau all the time. Right. And, um, and I, and I do not like Trudeau, but I have to make sure that, um, I'm not, um, getting deranged at everything he says just because he's Trudeau. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I thought good for him for praying for him, even better for him for sharing the gospel with him. And, uh, and I don't think he owed anybody an apology for it. What about you? Yeah, I I thought that I, I'm actually okay with it all. Um, now part of it now I confess, I, I'm, I probably like Platt too much. Like <laughs> so, <laughs> Some follow Apollos uh, and some follow Platt. <laughs> um, but I, I, didn't have a, I didn't have a big problem with him apolo- even apologizing. Like his prayer, there's nothing more that can be said. It was, I don't think in the circumstances he found himself in, maybe only Piper would handle it with the grace that he handled that. Right. Um, and I say that being like, 
again, not starstruck, not right. in any way trying to play politics or anything like that. Not like Platt's like the least political person I can think of. Yeah. Um, really is. The, like I would be shocked if in his message to, to Trump when Platt was talking to him before, said she gave him the gospel and then told him to go on mission. Like I would be like, if that didn't happen, I would actually be shocked by that. Right. Um, but you're kind of wasting your life being the president of the United <laughs> States. You shouldn't really be a missionary. Like did God call you to become president or did he? Cause if not, he's commanded you to go be a missionary. <laughs> so, but I, I, I thought his, um, apology, like, I don't love that he felt the need to even address it at all. I would have just let yeah. it go. But like, he's such, again, he's such a, he's the kind of guy who he would, he would, I think it would hurt him more if he thought he offended. Right. And so he, what he apologized for was that he was like, if anybody took it as he was endorsing right. the Republican party over the Democrats. And he was just like, no, I just, I it's biblical to pray for our leaders. And I didn't have the time to deliberate if this should be done or not. I just right. did it and I'm apologizing for it. And so I, I agree with the, the sentiment of like, don't apologize, just leave it. Right. Um, but I didn't have a, I didn't have a problem for what he specifically apologized for, if that makes right. sense. That's fair. Um, all right. Do you have, do you have any more? I, cause I got some more. Yeah. Go, for, go for one more and then I got a couple that I'll fire your way. Okay. Um, I have two really good ones though. Okay. Uh, would you, Go to a conference. Is this a would you rather? <laughs> no. Would you go to a conference that a false teacher, not just somebody who's an error, a false teacher is one of the speakers of? If the Even if the conference wasn't about what you think he's an error on, would you attend the conference? Bum, bum, bum. Would I attend the conference if I, if there was a heretic on the pan, like on, on well, the speaking? As one of the, well, as one of the speakers of the conference. <clears throat> That's a good question. Um, so... When you say heretic, you mean like straight up false teacher, like somebody like some like honestly, like somebody that we would be critical of, like a Joel Osteen, like who we actually just think is is kind of wolf in sheep's clothing. Like we're talking about an actual heretic. Somebody. Yeah. Somebody. Because let me let me just preface this by saying, like, I think, for example, I think that Andy Stanley's views on the Old Testament that are coming out right now are heretical. Right. I think that he has some very misguided views, but I, I, I think he's a believer. Like, I, I think he is a Christian. And I think he genuinely loves Jesus. Um, N.T. Wright. Right. I think his new perspective on Paul is very, very dangerous. I think it's it's uh, entering into works salvation. Um, but I think he loves Jesus. I think he's a genuine Christian. So I would go to a conference that they might be the speakers at if the conference had other speakers that I really want to see or if they were talking about something like I went and saw N.T. Wright speak on uh, postmillennialism when he was in London and it was phenomenal. Um, I wouldn't go in and hear a lecture for him on new perspectives of Paul. Um, so yes in that regard but if we're talking about like an actual like an actual heretic like we're talking about benny hinn we're talking about joel osteen we're talking about those one guys then i would say no because because i think that they would they they get some of the money from my ticket sales and i don't want them to yeah i that's basically where i would err on the on the same same side just was practical because there's conference around here with one mm-hmm. of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a, I got a kind of heavy one for okay, you. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, and this kind of came up in, uh, in small group, uh, the other day. So you're, you're answering a question from my small group, oh um, which, uh, so is, no pressure. I know these people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No pressure. Um, okay. So, um, it, it has to do with first Corinthians chapter six. Um, and, uh, so this, uh, 
so first Corinthians chapter six, it starts off with the sort of uh, lawsuits uh, against believers. And then it goes into kind of the passage. Remember that uh, Tim Bailey came on and spoke about in uh, um, uh, first Corinthians six verses uh, nine through 11, where it says, do you not know that the unrighteous will inherit, uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God, uh, the sexually immoral, right? The idolaters, adulterous, uh, those who practice homosexuality, right? And, and we talked about the translation there and the effeminate, blah, blah, blah. Um, and such were some of you. And then it goes into, Paul goes into a little bit of teaching on sexual immorality, right? And so he goes on, he says, um, uh, basically, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body or do you not know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit who is in who is within you you are not your own you have been bought with a price so glorify god with your body so the point that paul is making there is that um your body is permanent and eternal right your body will be raised like christ's body has been raised therefore the 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 sexual sins that you commit with your body are eternal. You're sinning against your immortal, eternal body that's been raised, that will be raised with Christ. He says, therefore, anyone who, and so he's, then he's talking about like, basically don't join yourself to a prostitute because the Bible says you become one with those that you have sex with, right? That there's a, there's a physical union, which is a, uh, uh, sign, uh, signifies an emotional and a spiritual connection as well. So you're becoming one with a prostitute is essentially what he's saying. That's an eternal sort of sin and you sin against that body. So somebody in, in my small group asked a great question that I thought, you know what, that's a really good, good question. And they said, what about sexual sin, such as looking at pornography, right? That's, you're not actually committing that sin with somebody else. And so they're asking the question saying, okay, because you haven't become one flesh with somebody else, is there a difference between sinning, like sexual sin, that's pornography and masturbation, or is that different than what Paul is talking about here? Or is sexual sin of all kinds different in the way that Paul is describing here? Yeah, I would say that's a, that's a really that is a really good question. Um, and and it came in the context of like pornography is rampant in the church. And I think one of the reasons it might be rampant in the church is because we recognize how bad it is to commit adultery with a prostitute, right? Like we recognize how bad adultery is and actually cheating and having sex with somebody who's not our wives. I think we all recognize how horrible that sin is, but we don't equate the sin of watching pornography and masturbating to it as the same sort of level. Yeah, we we don't, but I think I think Jesus does. I agree. Um, so, so let's help our <laughs> listeners follow us into the, these convictions. I I'm terrible at this. Matthew six is where he gets into that. I think five, five. Yep. Thanks, for, thanks for the no. It's five. <laughs> this is why you're the pastor, and I'm not. Um, but he, when he talks, he talks about the fact that I say to you, yeah. just looking at a woman is committing right. adult, adultery with her. So, in terms of the practical application of this, if I cut my arm right now and then. Oh, 
entered into glory. I'm not going to have a cut arm for eternity. You know what I mean? Like, and right. so like what, I don't think what Paul's saying is that like the physical things that I do to my body are going to last forever in terms of, I think he's meaning the implications of the sin on you. It, you're just sinning against a permanent thing for you forever. And so what I mean, when I, when I say that, when that's something that can happen, like the sexual sin is something that you do soul and body. Right. You know what I mean, where it's not just like something in your mind that you've done, you're doing it to your body. There's physiological things that happen when you watch pornography that were the studies. I, I encourage you. I can't remember the name of the ministry, fight but the new drug, fight the new drug, yeah. check it, check it out because yeah, like seriously. the things that, watching porn does is actually worse for you than just going out and having sex with a, with a, with a prostitute in terms of like what it's doing to your physio, like nature. Physiology. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say the word. Well, there are a lot of men now who are actually incapable of actually having sexual relations with their own wives because they've been, they've re hardwired their brain to only be aroused through, um, that sort of voyeurism of pornography. Yeah. I, It's, I, it's horrible. Exactly. I have a friend who will remain nameless, who I I counseled through a bit of stuff like a couple of years ago, um, and he had watched so much of this of like porn that he he basically pointed out and he was explaining to me like just almost like well at the beginning it was just these and then it became this then it became this then it became this because it becomes like a drug I need more and more right. more and more aggressive more and more right. to get the same level of arousal and so I think that's what what Paul's meaning here in terms of like you're 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 fundamentally changing who right. you are as a person um, and that's not a good thing and, and I think that um, the other thing the other place I'd go is in Ephesians 5 uh, Paul talks about the same he uses he quotes that same Old Testament verse about the two becoming one flesh and he and he says this mystery is profound and i say that it refers to christ in the church and so there is a spiritual element uh, a reflection of the gospel if you will right that the coming together the union in spirit with christ that is meant to be um shadowed or meant to be um um shown or displayed in the one flesh union between a husband and wife and so the idea here is it, it really is like pornography is not only adultery of the heart, but it's also idolatry in that you are allowing other things into your heart. Other, you're inviting, you're not reserving your, your, your body and your heart and your spirit for the one that you are meant to be joined together with. Because God, God says that your union with your wife is a reflection of Christ's union with the church. And therefore, your union with all of the women that you're looking at on the internet is a union between you and all of it. It's, it's like Israel whoring itself out to other gods, right? It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big thing. It's a, it's a serious thing. I think, uh, I think that um, I don't think that there should be a discipleship program in any church that isn't dealing with pornography. Like, like accountability relationships, discipleship pro, uh, programs, whatever it is that you run for men to disciple men in your church, if they aren't talking about pornography, they are not doing their job. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, think, I think it's one of those things I think we have to, like you said, I, I 100% agree. I think it's one of those things where we need, we need this to become a, an issue that isn't so hidden in our church, yep. not because we want to be like, Hey, look, everybody's watching porn, but like, so we can start holding people accountable for the things that they're doing alone. Um, because it, it is rampant. You know what I mean? Yep. It's one of those things where it's, and 
we can't, and we've, we've said this before, you can't, you can't, before you can go out and, and speak about women's rights, you have to realize that you can't be watching pornography and then pro- expounding women's rights publicly when you're watching pri- pornography privately, because that's the bigger explo- exploitation of women is that rather than what happens in the, in the workplace, because that's systematic. Whereas, right. Um, and then like all the, all the different things. And like we, we like the Bible is very, very, very upfront, like all the way from start to finish. I would say probably the most other than false teaching, the most like denounced thing is sexual immorality. Yeah, seriously. Which makes yeah. it a very big deal. And yeah. I think we need to, and, and we, we as Christians have a tendency to think of sexual immorality as just homosexuality yeah. or as just transgenderism or as just bestiality or as just adultery. But you can have an inappropriate sexual relationship with your wife if you're watching porn together. You know what I mean? Mm. That's inappropriate. If, you, if you're doing um, anything that would be sexually immorality, we don't have to go through all the different lists of all the things. But like this is something we need to be combating in our churches nonstop. Right. Because that's what Paul was doing in the new Testament. And do you think we're any less corrupt than they were in the early church? No, we're, we have way more tools for this than they, than they did. Right. So, right. okay. We have time for two more. So I'll fire one at you and then you fire one at me. Mine's, but, mine's kind of a funny one. Okay. Do that one first. Cause this is a heavy, <laughs> heavy one, but I think, yeah, I think you'll have a great answer for this one. Okay. Um, so a friend of mine asked me this question, and I had absolutely no idea. I just said, well, it happened to God's sovereign. After the ark, yep. so Noah put all the animals on the ark, and he landed. How did the kangaroos get back to Australia? What? How did the kangaroos get back to Australia? They're all wiped out. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how did they get, how did we get animals and insects and all that stuff back to Australia? Did we just put... Like, wait till they bred and then put them back on a boat? Like, <laughs> That's a very good question. It's, just, it's one of those stupidly yeah, yeah. funny questions, but it's yeah. one of those ones where, like, God is sovereign and he made these things happen. I don't know yeah. the answer, but it, it, it worked. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? like, uh, yeah, great question. I mean, you could ask the same question for uh, Iceland, right? Greenland. Oh, any, um, any of the you know, any, right? any, Yeah, anything that's uh, surrounded by, by water. Um, great question. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I've never really answered. I've never really thought about that an- that answer. I, I imagine answers in Genesis has a pretty good answer on that. Do they? Sure. I, I have no idea. I've never. I've literally never thought of it. Thought of it. Um, that's a good. That's up? a great question. I'll actually. I will. I will look up answers in Genesis because um, they're a great ministry, and I agree with a lot of uh, their answers on these sorts of things. But that is a great question. Um, so while I'm looking that up, yeah, let me let me say how I think. <laughs> yeah, please um, do. So I very rarely am like thrown completely off sorry, by a question. Sorry. I mean, I no, no, that's good. I, I just mean, that's awesome. Phase Nate. Yeah. Um, no, basically, I think I I look at these this kind of a this kind of a question as an attempt to like mind stump a Christian, and it's just like, well, the Bible doesn't tell us. The answer to the question is the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to people migrating. The the truth is when people left and went to populate other places in the in the earth after the flood, they took livestock with them. They took animals with them. 
animals as they bred, which let's be honest, would have bred like mad right after the after the flood with the resources and the, the fact that they had no, they would have spread out over 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 time. Now, how do they get to all the islands? Well, it's, what's interesting about that, there are islands in the world that don't actually have any animals on them at all. Um, mm. Like or like snakes, like for instance, I can't remember which is it Ireland? No, it can't be Ireland. There's there's an island that has no snakes. There's there's a place in the world that has no none of this that doesn't have bears that doesn't. My point is, is that like maybe we just don't know because people just brought them and they were like, oh well, we're gonna bring them. Well, it's insects. It's not hard to get a bug and a bug larvae. Right? You bring one spider on a on a boat, and now the country. Yep. Is populated, and that's kind of how I answer this question. But the main answer is, is like, who cares? Good question. There actually is there is an answer um, on answers in Genesis. So there's a um, um, so it's under a series of articles. So I'm not going to be able to scour this in, in the amount of time we have now. This particular article is called uh, "What Happened to the Animals After Noah's Ark." Um, by uh, Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, actually. Um, and it's in a series of articles called The Origin of Species After the Flood. Uh, I know Ken Ham wrote a book called A Flood of Evidence, but that, I think, has to do with more the, um, the evidence for a flood. Um, but anyway, I would go on Answers in Genesis and, and look up that, uh, those, those articles and, uh, and go from there. So, good, good question. That was a good question. Okay, I got a... So, Yours is heavy. Yes. Well, it's, I think I think you have a good answer for it. So um, this comes from a, a listener who um, has been growing in their faith for uh, a little while. Um, go to a good Bible-believing church, preaches the Word of God, listens to the Rebel Podcast, um, but is fairly new to um, either Christianity, either got regenerated or, as they would describe, maybe just started taking their faith seriously. So however you, uh, however you uh, view that, they still have a whole circle of friends and family that are not Christians. So when we talk about um, engaging culture and we talk about using social media, um, the, the idea of putting a pro-life challenge video or, or the, the, the prospect of, of kind of um, talking about some of the controversial things that we talk about on their social media, which is full of non-Christians, um, seems like um, a daunting task. And so their question basically comes out of that context. And the question is, um, you know, how often should I be starting fights with the people in my life who say things against Christianity or say unbiblical things from their own worldview? You know, I recognize that they hate God, but God's put me in their life for a reason. How often should I be willing to get into a fight and, and to essentially like um, upset the people in my life? Like how often should I be looking to get into a fight over this sort of thing? That's a tremendously good question. Yeah. Um, and super practical. Super, super practical. I, I think I think you have to answer the question in a couple different parts. So first, first Peter tells us always be ready to defend Christianity. Always be ready to defend the for the give a defense for the hope that is in you. Right. So I think how often? Well, if somebody's bashing our faith, I think I think as Christians we should always be ready to defend that. Um, so at any point in time, should you be ready to, to give a defense? Now there's a question is of readiness to be able to give it, give a defense. And so like for every single person 
who just because you were, if you were just saved yesterday, you might not be ready to give the defense that for the hope that's in you because you don't understand the hope that's in you. And so I think there, there's a, a wisdom to maybe listening to the, to the critique, having a, a polite conversation of like, listen, I, I don't, I, I don't have the answer to the question, to the accusation you're making to my faith right now. Let me get back to you. You d- but acknowledging that you don't necessarily have the defense ready mm-hmm. to, to give. Now, I would expect, say, for instance, you to be able to give an answer to most things right away. You know except, what I mean? Except questions except, about Noah's Ark. <laughs> except questions about the Ark. But I mean, like, there's a different state of readiness for everybody in right. it. The willingness to be able to give the defense is, I think, what Peter's specifically meaning. Like, yes. Um, and so that that's one way I answer the question. The second one is, I don't think we're, I don't think we're ever called to be. I don't think we're called specifically to be agitators. I think we're called to be, um, I guess we actually, let me reword that. I think we're called to be agitators, not necessarily aggressors. Um, So what I mean by that is like, so if I'm in, and this has been me, I've been in the circle. I have this circle of friends where I'm the only one who believes and people will start talking and then I, and then I kind of chime in with the Christian worldview, Christian worldview. And which eventually ends up being like four to one, three on one, five on two, whatever the the argument ends up being all, all my, my role in that circumstance is, is, is to be truthful and to leave. And what you always make the comment, leave, just leave a pebble in their shoe, leave something for them, for them to think about. So to answer the question from the, on the second half to that person who's like, well, how often should I be doing this? I don't, I don't think you need to walk up to every friend you have every single day and pick a fight. You know right. I mean, be their friend, love them, be the best friend you can possibly be to that person, which is, I think something we think we forget when we're, when we're in evangelizing that is like, we're also called to be awesome friends. We're also called to be loving and good people to those people. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean all of a sudden now only you can hang out with Christians. Um, in fact, you're, I would say you're, doing the wrong thing if that's your if your mindset um be evangel be evangelistic in your world be live missionally um but love them and those and these things will come up as you're as you're talking to them and the more grace and the more love you have in all areas within that friendship the more often even though you're going to be saying something often probably about abortion probably about feminism probably about women's roles typically in today's society those are the big hot button issues we have a very different standard, a standard of truth and a very different worldview than the world around us would say is, is right. right. Um, but we don't hold to what the world says is right. We hold to what the world word of God says, but people will listen a lot more to what we're saying when they see the, our love for them. Right. Um, so I would, I would say always be ready, but at the same time, always be ready first to love them. You know what I mean? If that, if that kind of ma- makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the only thing I would add to that is that um, we have to have, we have to have confidence that, um, God's word is true and God is real. Um, no matter what sticks and stones get thrown at him, you know what I mean? And so I think if, if we can absolve ourselves of insecurity, right, if we can be sure that what we believe is true, then we don't necessarily, um, get baited 
And what I mean by that is that when, you know, I, I have a whole lot of friends who, who mock Christianity, mock, you know, our faith, who will take pot shots at, at uh, our decision to homeschool or our decision to have as many kids as we, you know, um, or, or just what we believe in general, right? Or, or you know, the, my, the, the misogyny of <laughs> believing that God created men and women differently, you know, those kinds of things. Um, I don't feel the need to respond to every pot shot. Right. Like sometimes and and part of that comes from, you know, I remember in my kind of cage stagey-ness and that that happens with reform theology that happens with apologetics that happens with Calvinism. Um, I think, you know, we get into a kind of cage stage thing where we we immediately feel the need to defend. But it, it's born out of insecurity, right? It's born out of we don't we don't want somebody to think that there's not an answer to their question, or we don't want somebody's pot shot to, you know, validate it by not responding to it. And I think, you know, the 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 more I've matured, I'll say, and I'm certainly not there yet, but the less um, compelled I am to defend every single comment that's thrown my way. And I just say that it's because I'm not insecure. I know that what I believe is true. I know that the Bible is true. I know that God exists. So I don't need to respond to every pot shot, which allows me to be a bit more selective, right? And that, and, and I think part of that is if somebody is ever going to engage me and actually ask me about the hope that's in me, I'm going to answer that question every time. If somebody comes to me with a genuine question where they say, look, you know, I, 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 w- I want to listen to what you're saying, but this is a barrier. I'm going to answer that question every single time. And if I don't have a good answer for it, I'll go find one. But the pot shots, right, the, the, the sort of snide remarks, notice Jesus was silent when Pontius Pilate said to him, what is truth? Right. So there, there is a sort of like you have to discern between the difference when you're just being attacked. And sometimes it's actually a greater testimony to the faith when you're willing to be chastised and be and be attacked and not be the defensive insecure one right i think that this is where the fruit of the spirit like patience and long suffering and self control come in and i think that just comes with christian maturity to know and that 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 doesn't mean that there are not there are sometimes when i'll say to somebody like please don't talk about you know if you actually want to talk about that i think there's a great answer to that question i've had i had a friend this is going back only a few weeks ago uh, i had a friend who who mentioned something about um the kind of the how horrible um, morally reprehensible the old testament god is and the comment again i i've let those comments slide but the way it was said um, I, I didn't let it go. And I just said, you know, there are actually answers to those questions. If you're ask, actually asking that question, I can give you an answer. But if you don't want to know the answer, then don't just take pot shots at me. And, uh, and he just apologized and, and we moved on. So there is a time and a place to defend your faith and to defend God to even those pot shots. But I would say in general, just discern between the difference, the difference between somebody who's asking a genuine question and somebody who's taking pot shots, because sometimes our attitude to absorb offense um, is just as much a testimony as defending the faith. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I, I love, I love the way you answer that. Um, the last thing I would always say is that nowhere in scripture, I, I we see this sometimes because I, you mentioned the, the cage phase and I, and I always think we have a tendency to do this with everything where we all of a sudden, we become, we think we're Christian superheroes yep. and we're just like, <laughs> I have an answer for every question and I need to correct everyone, everyone around me on <laughs> yep. everything. I think it's, I think we need to remember sometimes like just like spiritual gifts, God's given everybody different 
kind of giftings in yeah. terms of like answering qu- these kind of questions and like the way they're going to, they're, they're going to work on these things. Um, so I, th- I think it's, it's important for us to be self-aware in terms of like, hundred um, percent, so good. what we're exactly what we're good at answering and what we're probably better off to let like somebody Someone else, else somebody yeah. else and, and handle or do exactly like what you just said, which was like, sometimes just stay silent, let it go at, or, or one-on-one have the, have the conversation right. later be like, Hey, did you actually have a question about that? Cause I can answer it. Yeah. Um, and one so of my, one of my things specifically with unsaved family members, when we're at like a family dinner or something like that, um, you know, that can very quickly, and there have been family dinners and holidays where it becomes me against the world. <laughs> and, uh, and those have been unhelpful. And there've been times when, um, you know, kind of now what I'll do is I'll let things go in groups and generally try to answer things one-on-one, um, is kind of a general rule of thumb. But I think, again, it just comes with discernment and knowing when to jump in and when, and when not to, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I would say, I, I, I think it was Chesterton who said, uh, we ought to keep our mouth shut, uh, enough that when we open it, people listen. <laughs> and I think that's, that's good advice. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, there's some questions that came in. Hopefully you're edified by them. And, uh, if you have questions, send them our way. We like stopping and doing a Q and a episode every once in a while. Um, but, uh, check out the other podcasts on the network, check out the blog posts. And, uh, if you want to give back to the show, check us out on patreon.com slash rebel Alliance. Thanks for joining us. Peace.